Do you feel loved? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you want a family? Interlinked. Interlinked. Loving children? Interlinked. Interlinked. Loving wife? Interlinked. Interlinked. Loving husband? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you want to listen to a podcast? Interlinked. Interlinked. About movies? Interlinked. Interlinked. All right. Well, he passes. You failed, by the way. So you're going to get uh, way off the chart. Yeah. Oh, God. That shit's fucked. So you're going to get retired. The boys are going to love this one. Hello, 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 friends and family. Welcome to the year 2023, where uh, we have flying cars. We have flying cars. We still mm-hmm. have the southern accent. Yep. And uh, we drink. We have worms in our drinks. We do have worms in our drink. We love drinking worms. Mm-hmm. Guys, if you're new to this podcast. We talk about movies. We talk yeah. about the takes it took to get that movie. But before we do that, we always like to talk about what we've seen recently. Yeah. Just a just a quick little segment. Because we like movies. We watch movies. So we yeah. like to talk about what we've seen and give a brief conversation, maybe a recommendation. And yes. if you are new here, I hate you in particular. Yeah. We're, we're going to, uh, what's it called? Raz you? No. Riz you? Mm, Ooh, no. yeah. Uh, I'm going to show you my W Riz. What am I looking for? When, when, haze. Haze. We're going to haze you. With, with fun facts about movies we watched, Mariah. Yeah. I watched a 1990 movie called The Field. Directed by Jim Sheridan. It is extremely Irish. I was there for it. Okay. And uh, if- in 1990? 80? <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? 1990. Ireland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you are familiar with The Banshees of Inishirin, which was Martin McDonough's latest film that he released last year, which if you have listened to this podcast and you know that I'm a huge fan of that movie. Anyway, mm. watching it, I feel like I could immediately see the inspiration that this movie possibly could have been for Martin McDonough. Uh, it was really cool. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. It has Richard Harris, the guy who you would probably know him as. He's the first Dumbledore before he passed away. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one who's like, there was a ogre in the fucking bathroom. That is Professor Quirrell, but yeah, so not even it is him. that movie. It's, yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> it's got Sean Bean in it. Uh, Mr. And, Bean? Yeah. Oh. And um, the the kind of premise is this older man who wants to buy this field that he's worked like his family has worked in for generations he's trying to buy it but this american comes in and wants to buy it and so it's kind of like him versus the american and kind of his descent into madness mm. um for a goofy cause that really only means something to him and uh he finds out nobody else so yeah it was good i liked it yeah if i can say a quick thing about you know irish art in cinema, if you were to, the only thing you knew about Irish people in Irish culture was from cinema and from the prominent stories they have, you'd think, A, they all want to kill themselves. B, uh, one out of every three Irish people are insane. And uh, four, they kill donkeys a lot. Damn, am I Irish cinema? You might be. Hmm. But I, we are. It no. sounds like <laughs> they might just barely be scraping by over there. So <laughs> Anyway, it, it was very good. Apparently, it's like a staple in... Um, Ireland to read yeah. I think a play or book yeah, it's that it's play. based on mm-hmm. so yeah that's what I watched Stefan what about you um I actually watched a short film <laughs> I bet to you that's just a normal film <laughs> a shorty a film. <laughs> I watched a French short film Sounds called so gross. yeah called Le Jeté. uh the whole short film is told in pictures and narration and like okay. sounds and the concept of the short film is it's a sci-fi so in the future, the world is falling apart. I think it's nuclear war or something. I don't know. So the surviving humans are trying to find answers 
and get help from their past and get help from their future. And they think the way to do that is they can like go through time through like your memories. So they get one guy and they're using him to go back in time through his memories um, to just try and figure something out. So. No, wait, is this the plot to Assassin's Creed? I it's very similar. I think I've seen this in a class. It might have. Yeah, it's a very big short film. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot, I have seen this. Yeah. Oh. And so he goes back in time and he sees like this girl and he knew and then and then he goes briefly into the future and they're like, We're not gonna help you, idiots. And then uh and then he does go back in time and then he like gets shot. Very weird. Cool. I think the use of the images is very good because the whole point is that he's like trying to remember memories. Mm-hmm. So it's just these, you know, lock static things that he remembers. Yeah. I don't know. Short film, twenty minutes long. It's what uh the movie Twelve Monkeys is based on. You know that one, Terry Gilliam. Imagine going to the future and you're like, oh, help us, please. We need your help. We need your help. And they're like, lol, no, fuck you. We did it on our own. Fucking dog. Brendo. Brendo. All right. All right. Well, turn, pal. I watched a goofy little movie called No Hard Feelings uh, featuring Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. Yeah. How was that? It was funny. I mean, you know, it's not cinema, but mm-hmm. like I watched it. I went, ha. And, you know, I liked it. It's basically Jennifer Lawrence wants to get a car, so she tries to fuck a child. Yeah, that's about what I've heard. He's okay. I mean, he's like 18, uh, and she's like 30-something. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. To, to be fair, Matthew Broderick asks her to fuck his son. Yeah, the whole bit is like the family, like, asks slash hires her. Yeah. To, like, so be his girlfriend. Like, hey, our son isn't very good with women. Please fuck him. And... When you do complete this mission, we will give you a car. And then they end up being good friends. Wow. The woman was too stunned to speak. Yeah, it's funny, though. She gets punched in the throat. Oh. And pepper sprayed and ran over and set on fire. She takes a lot of fucking hits, which is impressive. Oh, she also gets kicked in the cooch. Mm. But yeah, that's no hard feelings. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's take a very... Let's take a it very. It is hotter than a hoochie coochie. Hotter than a hoochie coochie. Absolutely. Let's take a, a hard right. Hard because, right. Um, away from no hard feelings. And uh, today's episode is going to be all about what movie, Miles? This is going to be about Blade Runner, Blade but not Runner. not the one that you probably think is you for real for real. That's twenty forty nine. We're talking about the first one. This one's for the boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about me? Well, we'll see what your thoughts on the movie are. Yeah, and then come back to that. Yeah, at the very end, I'll give you a bro rating. Yeah, we'll give you we'll give you the guy rating. Which, if you listen to the previous episode on the Grand Budapest Hotel, which if you did, congrats on two wildly different episodes. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I clarified that the first time I watched Blade Runner, it took me a week to get through it. Yeah. Not uh, not the biggest fan of this. So, so the suspense of this one is seeing what Mariah's new thoughts are. Yeah. Yes. All right, Mariah. Mean you have a job. Yeah, to do. you got a job. We've got a movie to summarize. How do you want to do this? So I quickly just found the opening scrawl text because I feel like that can probably just word it a little bit, you know, more concisely than me trying to recollect mm. and make sure I use the terms correctly. So the movie opens with this. Early in the 21st century, the Tyrell Corporation advanced robot evolution into the Nexus phase, a being virtually identical to a human known as a replicant. The Nexus 6 replicants were superior in strength and agility and at least equal in intelligence to the genetic engineers who created them. Replicants were used off-world as slave labor in the hazardous exploration and colonization of other planets. After a bloody mutiny by a Nexus 6 combat team in an off-world colony, replicants were declared illegal on Earth under penalty of death. Special 
special police squads, the Blade Runner units, had orders to shoot to kill upon detection any trespassing replicant. This was not called execution, it was called retirement. So we open with Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, and basically he's called in, because um, he's essentially a detective. This, yeah. Once I was like, oh, this is like noir, I couldn't kind of get into a little bit more but so he's called in because there are six replicants who have landed on earth and so he has to go retire them and so it's basically him just kind of using his technology and finding clues so like he finds a fish scale and he's able to find the manufacturer and he finds that it's basically one of the replicants is like kind of like an exotic dancer and so he goes and he like finds her and he shoots her and she's retired and then immediately after that um one of the other replicants who we see actually in the opening scene, um, he's being interrogated and he shoots his interrogator and escapes. He's back. And um, just as Deckard is about to be killed by this replicant, uh, this his Rachel. love interest, Rachel, actually shoots the replicant for him. Now, Rachel was previously introduced and she is a replicant, but she didn't know that she was a replicant. And she has just found out that she's a replicant. So she's kind of struggling with realizing she's not a human. Yep. And they kind of have like a little bit of a romance. They have like an evening together and then she kind they of disappears. a night where they play cards together. Yeah, play cards. Definitely nothing um, Nothing morally ambiguous romantical. happens. So at this point, two of the replicants that we've been searching for are dead. And also previously in the film, we get two scenes respectively of Roy, who is kind of like the bad guy. Yeah, Roy Batty. He's the bad replicant. Literally Roy Batty. And he's trying to figure out because the replicants have a four-year lifespan, he wants to figure out a way to live longer. And so they're just kind of doing baddie stuff. And they interrogate this one guy and put eyeballs on him. It's really funny. That's James Hong, by the mm -hmm. way, who yeah. plays the grandpa in Everything Everywhere. Yeah, all who once. has... Been he, a lot. he came out an old man, and he has been an old I man. Know, he, he looked the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, You know, like wrinkly babies born. He just never <laughs> got rid of the, for the wrinkles. Um, and then we also get another scene of another replicant named Pris. Who, Pris Stratton. Pris Stratton, who is, uh, what's the word? Schmoozing a man named Sebastian, who used to work for the Tyrell Company, I believe mm -hmm. is his job. So he lives in a hotel. So she's hanging out with him. And then Deckard and Rachel, they have their sussy night. And then we come back to our replicants, and Roy and Pris are in cahoots. They're working together, and they're going to use Sebastian to get to Tyrell, because Tyrell is like their god. He's their creator. So they uh, they got a trick of playing chess to get into Tyrell's bedroom. And then they have some biblical illusions. They smooch. Uh, he pops his eyes out. It's really funny. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to the hotel. Deckard then shows up at the hotel because, you know, he's still doing his job. And he shoots Pris and she, she dies like a spider. She wriggles and rides around in the spider montage and she's shrieking. That is actually a very... And she's going... Apt description for something I will talk about later. Yeah, so that happens. And then for about like 20 minutes, Roy chases Deckard around in his underwear. And he's just saying, ranting and raving, saying crazy things. He sticks a nail through his hand, more biblical imagery. He jumps on a roof and then he gives this baller ass speech and dies. And then Deckard runs away with Rachel, but not before his cop buddy holds a unicorn origami. Because he folded origami once before in the movie, don't you remember? Twice. He does it twice. Well, I guess he. No, the second one's a little matchman. Yeah, the, the matchman, and then the unicorn. Is there any other than that? A uh, chicken. Uh, Near the very beginning chicken. of the film. And then uh, that implies that Deckard is maybe a replicant because he had a unicorn dream before. So does that mean his dream is implanted? Hmm. 
I don't know, viewers. The end. All right. Yeah. That is that the is movie. Edge Runners. Blade Chase. Blade Chasers. Blade. Knife Sprinters. <laughs> Knife Sprinters. That's Knife. a good one. That's a good one. Um, Joggers. So yeah, this movie is loosely based off of a book by Philip K. Dick called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, that came out in 1966. Yeah, this movie, Blade Runner, is based off of a Philip K. Dick book that came out in 1966. The history of the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, is also kind of interesting, so I'm going to talk about that real quick. Mm. So... Which you've read the book. I've read the book. We're going to talk about the book because it is pretty different. Um, It it goes far more into like the world of uh, Blade Runner. So basically, Philip K. Dick, if you don't know him, he's a renowned science fiction writer. He wrote The Man in the High Castle, which is effectively Mm. What If Nazis Won. Right. Um, which is where the story actually begins because he is doing research for the man in the high castle. And at this point, he is reading seized diaries from uh, the Gestapo officer. Oh. And he's reading it and he's okay. is specifically struck by this one thing where Nazi officer is complaining about not being able to sleep because he was, quote, kept awake at night by the cries of starving children. Good. Oh. Um. Yeah. And Philip K. Dick is he? He says that he never wrote a sequel to The Man in the High Castle because it was just what he was reading was too horrible. He didn't want to keep mm. doing it. But he was kind of stricken with this idea that there are these. He didn't even consider the Nazis people. He was like they are things that pretend to be people and have no empathy. Oh. And so he he called them um, androids uh, hmm. because he was like they're they're just not people. Did he coin that term? No, I don't think he coined the term oh, okay. term androids. Um, he did coin the term kipple, which I actually really like. But we'll talk about hmm. that when I get to the book right now. So right. he writes, "Do androids dream of electric sheep?" Mm. Which I'll do my own little short summary. Effectively, Deckard is a kind of just rando beat cop, the bounty hunter, because Blade Runner is not a term in the book. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they're just called bounty hunters. So the bounty hunter who's in charge of collecting these six androids ends up getting shot, like in the book or in the movie, and and so now it's up to him to retire all these these androids or the the ones that are remaining and the book Do they use the term replicants replicants yeah uh androids they kind of okay go in between gotcha mm. um the book is way more about the human condition so mm. in this world there's a thing called mercerism and it's basically this like fucking god that they believe in mm. uh and this god is all about empathy he wants you to take care of living things. He wants you to attach yourself to this thing called the uh, empathy box, where you grab the handles and feel the emotions of every other person holding onto those handles. Okay. Oh, goodness. Uh, that so would just like, make me weep. Yeah, it's a way for you to like connect to the larger essence of humanity. Mm. And there's this machine called, oh, what's it called? It's not the empathy box. Mood organ. So this mood organ, you can like basically enter a number and it forces you to feel the emotion uh, connected to that number. Okay. So there's like, you know, the want to watch TV 
or having a new exciting outlook on life or being content with your work, uh, mm. which is all like this idea of like humans feeling emotions, right? So you can force yourself to feel certain things. And mm. Deckard owns an electric sheep because uh, in this world, taking care of an animal is like the highest thing you can do. Mm. It is basically required to be considered human, right? And so... He is killing these replicants and androids specifically so he can buy an animal so he doesn't have to keep taking care of this electric sheep. And so he goes, he hunts down the replicants and So he wants to do, he wants to do the thing that's considered most human, but he's doing something that we consider one of the most atrocious things a human can do. Yeah. Gotcha. And so he kind of starts off being like they're androids, they're they're things, they're it's uh they don't mm. count and throughout the movie or the book i'm sorry he's like well fuck they they seem kind of capable and there's a whole part part where in the movie she's a kind of exotic dancer mm. in the book she's a renowned singer mm. and he finds her in a museum and she's looking at the art pieces and as they're leaving because he doesn't kill her in the museum as they're leaving she's like please please buy me this art piece. Not like the actual art piece, but like a, a copy of it. And he does it. And the guy he's with at the time is like, why the fuck are you doing that? She's a replicant. She means nothing. Like, why would you give a shit? And he's like, yeah. it just seemed like the right thing to do. Mm. So he's having this like whole internal struggle with, is what I'm doing okay? Do androids dream of electric sheep? Like they appear mm. to have emotion. He's sleeping with Rachel, who the entire time she knows she's a replicant. Uh, she's She sleeps with Deckard specifically to make Make him empathetic towards androids huh. so that he won't be able to hunt them down anymore interesting um and so the the book is way more into like the deep dive of you know because th that's really interesting I'll, I'll keep it brief i'm not gonna talk about it now but like i think the movie is rather emotionally distant yeah so to hear that the book is so focused on emotion is really interesting mm -hmm. and there's a there's a whole part where uh Deckard is talking to another police officer who's been tricked by androids mm. um to work at like a fake police office and the whole thing is like are we androids neither of us fucking know we've been mm. told that we're androids but i own a squirrel i love my squirrel i can't possibly be an android <laughs> and deckard's like at this point i i don't know you could be an, i could be an android yeah. um hmm. but yeah so the book is really good it's one of my favorite books philip k dick wrote writes it and now we're going to get into the movie producer Herb Jafe. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Herb Jafe. Herb Jafe. He is uh, optioned. He options the rights to the book right. in early 1970s. Oh. Uh, but yeah, but Philip K. Dick was unimpressed with the screenplay written by Herb's son, Robert, saying uh, Jafe's screenplay was so terribly done. Robert <laughs> flew down to Santa Ana to speak with me about the project. And the first thing I said to him when he got off the plane was, shall I beat you up here at the airport or shall I beat you up back at my apartment? Wow. He fucking hated it because he had turned. Wow. He had basically dumbed down the screenplay into an action comedy. <laughs> oh, Fine. So Philip K. Dick was like, no, fuck you. You are not doing this. You kind of missed mm. the point, buddy. Yeah. And so Dick passes on the rights onto uh, Brian Kelly, who is going to be the executive producer. Okay. That's, for, uh, that's good news. Yeah. For uh, Blade Runner. And he... I have, gives, a I have a question. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, the term Blade Runner is not in the book. Yeah. So with this first iteration of the screenplay, was it called Blade Runner or was it... It was not. Was it called I, the same thing as the book or... I don't entirely know what this version was called oh, okay. because it was so brief. 
Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like kind of rarely mentioned. It's just like, gotcha, oh, okay. this first one existed. It was an, it, an, an attempt asked. years ago that just yeah. kind of fell flat. Gotcha. Okay. So it may have not even had a title. It probably was just called Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep a Movie? Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. But the screenplay is then optioned in 1977 by Hampton Fancher. And producer Michael Dealey became interested in Fancher's draft. So Fancher writes it, and it is not loved by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point it's like well let's see the so philip k dick is he's very untrustworthy of hollywood he, he's mm. not a huge fan of hollywood but fancher found a cinema treatment by william s burroughs uh for alan e norris's novel the blade runner titled the blade runner a movie and so okay. S- scott ridley likes the name so dealy obtains the rights and that's now the name of the movie uh, but that happens a little bit later because Ridley Scott is actually set up to make a Dune movie after the success of Alien. Because right now, Ridley Scott has basically made two movies. He has made Alien and the one he made before that. Oh, God. What did he make? The Duelist, which is actually a really good oh, movie. So he yeah. makes The Duelist in 1977 and then Alien in 1979. And he's going to make Dune. Uh, unfortunately, his brother is diagnosed with terminal cancer uh, and dies. This is unfortunate. Yeah. And Ridley is fucking racked with grief. And he wants, he, he's shown Blade Runner and he's like, I fuck with it. <laughs> Because he he really direct quote <laughs> he really connects with Rory Batty's dream of living longer because his brother died yeah. so young he was like I want my brother to live long I I can connect with Roy Batty wanting to live longer mm-hmm. and so he's like this is like a really emotional piece for me I want to be a part of it which is interesting because in the movie they're just weird psychos yeah and I <laughs> it's hard to <laughs> empathize for them when they're just so weird. Yeah, yeah. Putting, putting eyeballs on James Hunt's shoulder. Putting eyeballs on people, like, popping eyeballs him. out. They're, he's like kissing her blood, and they're just doing the nose grab, thigh squeeze. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh man, that's not my little brother. It's <laughs> not my brother. That ain't my brother in there. That ain't my brother. But effectively, they get Filmways Pictures to kind of help pay for it in 1980. And so... I don't... I think we've heard of that one. Oh, yeah, at least on this podcast. They're like a little fucking nobodies, effectively. Yeah. So are we. Yeah. <laughs> but they have invested True. over like 2.5 million in pre-production so far. Okay. And the date for principal photography is getting closer and Filmways basically withdrew. So they're like, you know what? Fuck this. You guys are already over budget, effectively. Uh, and we can kind of see where this is going to go. We don't want to be part of this anymore. So they back out. Everyone's freaking out. And Dealey secures a $21.5 million financing agreement through a ludicrous three-way deal between the Lad Company through Warner Brothers. Lad? Yeah. The Mad Lad. The Hong Kong-based producer Sir Run Run Shaw... And Tandem Productions. So there's like this fucking crazy little combination uh, of companies that are now all financing Blade Runner. Okay. And they are a bit like, okay, it's Ridley Scott. He makes good movies. We have faith. And so that's kind of why they joined in the first place. Had they cast Harrison Ford at this point? No. Okay. Uh, This is still pretty early on. So the whole like principal photography is nearing. That happens a little bit later when Film Freeway backs out. But I I put it in here because otherwise I would just forget. (laughs) Okay. 
But it is now Ridley Scott's movie. And okay. if you didn't know, Ridley Scott is kind of a madman. Mad as lad. is a, a lot kooky. of directors that I talk about, apparently. A lot of people are kooky. He wants this movie to look like The Long Tomorrow, which is a French comic by a guy named Mobius. Kind of just like his handle is Morbius. Mobius. Oh. <laughs> He's Morbin? I need more BS. That's what I need. I do need more BS. I have BS in my diet. Yeah, but he tries to get Morbius. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> he tries to get Mobius Got him. to be the art director, but Mobius rejects it because he's going to be doing an animated French film and womp womp. Whoopie ding. Yeah. But on to casting. So now they're doing casting. Oh, okay. Mm. Robert Mitchum is first considered for the role of Deckard. Okay. Who is a, if you didn't know, he's he's a noir man. He's like... Noir. He's noir. pretty much like the noir guy. But at this point, he is in his 70s. Uh, mayhaps a little Yeah, old. he was born in 1912, uh, oh, Robert Mitchum. Wowzers. And so at, you know, it's 1980 right now. So he's fucking old. And they're like, well, <laughs> you can't do a lot of the action scenes that we are going to do because we have you climbing on buildings and we running need around. You to flail around. Yeah, like a little spider. Mm-hmm. Well, which the reason that's important is the guy who replaces Sebastian in the book is called J.R. Isidore. Okay. He's just a chicken head, He's, which is someone who has basically had their brain irradiated uh, to the point where they cannot serve society. Oh, it's an actual society. book term. I thought, I thought you were just saying. Like, yeah, no. Like, and okay. so he takes care of a spider because it's the only thing he can get his hands on. Mm. And they, the androids, to show that they're basically emotionless in the book, they just kind of torture the spider to see what happens. Mm. And so to have her, to have you say that she wiggles around like a spider uh, oh. being tortured is, is very reminiscent of the book. Interesting. But with Robert Mitchum too old, they, for a little bit, decide to go with Dustin Hoffman. Oh. But then Ridley hears the name Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford had just done a movie called Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had just an absolute insane early 80s. 1980, you yeah. have Empire Strikes Back. Uh-huh. 81, you have Indiana Jones. Yep. And Raiders of the Lost Ark. 82, you have Blade Runner. And 83, you have episode six of Star Wars. And then 84, you have yeah. Temple of Temple Doom. Of Doom. Mm-hmm. Wowza. Yeah. But uh, Harrison Ford, is he's he's very focused on, on what he's going to be doing right now because he's very scared of being typecasted as like a mm-hmm. sci-fi, like yeah. Han Solo type. Right. So he reads the script and he's like, oh, this kind of like dark brooding detective man. I want to do that. Right. Uh, so he's very interested in the script, and he wants to kind of be a lot more into the writing than he was able to do in Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Hmm. And he's like, Ridley, I'm a detective who doesn't detect very much. Make me detect more. Interesting. And Ridley's like, True. Okay, you can do that. <laughs> um, but uh, is it, is that probably where we get the scene where he's like on the computer and he's like telling yeah. it to enhance yeah. and stuff? Honestly, probably right. that fucking ridiculous computer that can enhance. Yeah. Adams. Okay, there's a part where it's in the mirror and things are parallaxing and the yeah. as it shifts. I'm like, that's impossible. Yeah. That cannot happen. Anyways. I Yeah, that part I kind of just ignore. I was like, you know what? Future tech, eh, yeah, I know. I'm, not, future, I'm not gonna worry about it. Future tech at the end spits out a Polaroid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that part was a little silly to me. TBQH. <laughs> also, it is kind of a late, when we think about it, like if you think of it as like a detective noir thing. Okay, so he finds a scale. He brings it to someone who's like, oh, it's got a serial code of the exact guy who made this fake snake. Go talk to him. Talks to him. He tells him 
who bought the snake, he finds her. He shoots her. Pretty much the only detective. It's like does. it's like that that elaborate of like a detective <laughs> yeah. like leads. It's just it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, most of the time they come to him. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. second one comes to him immediately after the first one. Yeah. But uh next on the docket of people to get is Sean Young, who mm. plays Rachel. Rachel. She's hot off the presses. She's a green, <laughs> green, greeny, green, green actress. This is the first major role she's going to be doing. Greenhorn. Yeah. Harrison Ford does not like that. Harrison oh, Ford is not a fan of dealing with new actors. Mm. And so him and Sean do not get along. Yeah. At, at the point, they despise each other. Huh. Mm. Harrison Ford also does not like Ridley Scott by the end of the movie mm. because Ridley Scott is kind of focused on making sure that Sean Young is doing her job. He's being like, Harrison Ford, you know what you're doing. Go do your mm. fucking thing. And Harrison Ford's like, little brother's getting more attention. Than Dude, me. tell me what to do. I want to have you tell me what to do. What do I do? Mm. And he's like, do your fucking, just fucking do it. I I, I'm not going to focus on you. Fucking do it, man. And then he's like, oh, Sean Young, you should do exactly this, this, and this, and this, and this. And Harrison Ford's like, fuck both of you. You guys suck. Eat my dick. Uh, by the end of filming, Harrison Ford is basically not talking to oh. either of them. I knew he was like unhappy with this. Yeah. This time here. They're doing the sex scene. And it's the just card like, scene. They're playing cards. Yeah, the, the playing card scene. Yes. And it's just, it's supposed to be a love scene. They play it's, tag and then yeah, they play it's cards. It's not working out. And so really Scott is like, push you, got, her. you have too much hate in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll be like, push her around. Harrison oh, Ford, like, that makes it so much weirder now. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So Harrison Ford pushes her and they end up, you know, rapping and she's like crying. Oh. Uh, and in a, in a weird moment, Harrison Ford moons her. <laughs> <laughs> In order to get her to laugh. Yeah, that'd probably do it. That's like a last resort. That's like, I got to, def- that's, you know, we talked about Private Ryan when they're all fighting and they're all going to like desert. Like, that's what I would have done to defuse the situation. I just like, here's my butt cheeks. All right. Are we good? Oh my God. Um, Does that fix it? Now I'm wondering that, uh, that scene where she first comes to the apartment and he's like, you're a replicant. And he's like, oh, I shouldn't have, whatever. You're not a replicant, whatever. Sorry, get out of here. Yeah. And he's like mad at her. And I'm like, yeah. he probably was just using that animosity here. And yeah. He had yeah. Stored up and just like, yeah. Played the, in. the cast and crew referred to the playing card scene as the hate scene. <laughs> oh, just because so of sad. the, like, they just didn't get along. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then we got Rutger Howard yeah. for Roy Batty. Absolute fucking genius. Yeah. This guy crushed it the entire way through. Okay. Uh, he was also often seen helping with staging and costumes on the side. Like uh, just lending just, a hand? Just hanging just out, buddy. just helping, just like huh. being a real fucking chill dude. Cool. And uh, speaking of makeup and costumes and stuff like that, on the first day of shooting... Ridley Scott sees Sean Young in her her hair and makeup, and he goes, "You know what? I don't like that." So he sits her down and does her hair and makeup himself. Wow! So the the the, the first thing they do is the owl shot, mm. and so all that is him effectively. He did her makeup and her lipstick and all that, and that was Ridley Scott. And that's huh. just like the look that they use for the rest of the movie. Yeah, well, she undoes your hair. Yeah, to play cards. To play cards. To play, to play cards. To play cards. So. We're going to run it back a little bit. Was that because it was yesterday? Yes, it is.
Forgot to hit play after you rewound. <laughs> so Philip K. Dick is still not happy with the script. And he's telling our boy, sorry, there's, I'm getting fucked by names at this point. There's too many. <laughs> so Philip K. Dick is talking to Ridley Scott being like, I don't like the script yet. Um, Hampton Fancher is doing a wonderful job, but it needs to be better. And so they go, okay, Hampton Fancher, fuck you. David Peoples, you're in. So they fired Fancher? They did not tell Fancher that they got another writer, oh. uh, David oh, Peoples. Damn. And David Peoples adds a bunch of the slang. He adds a bunch of that stuff. Mm. And he ends up rewriting a, a big portion of the movie. And when Hampton Fancher finds out, he basically quits. Yeah. He's like, this that's is... My, yeah, I get it. That's my biggest fear. One day I'm going to come here and you guys are going to be like, oh, you're not... We were, we got a new friend. We got a new Stefan. Yeah. You're out. Well, you're here, but like, you know. Eventually, they would reel him back in uh, and he would... Like a little fishy. Yeah. And he would work alongside peoples, but it's just like kind of what happened is... Which is peoples? He left Hampton. People, no, that's Hampton Venture. People's name is... I David. Like, David. I was making a joke. It's a bad joke. You're fired. You're like he works alongside peoples, and I'm like, which people? <laughs> That's my thought of you. I'm gonna shoot myself now because you did that. <laughs> All right. Well, they work alongside each other. Now it's time for the actual production. Wow. This production sucked ass. <laughs> okay. No one liked it. Who's Everyone, ass? my ass. Oh. No, Ridley Scott's ass probably. Mm. Ridley Scott is a perfectionist mm, he's one of them huh he's the type of guy who will do 20 takes because you're not setting the plate down right oh i've heard of this actually yeah he's the type of guy who does 30 takes because sean young is saying owl instead of owl but that's just yeah. like the like the way she says it Dude, just adr it yeah maybe there's no way that's helping the tone or the plot at all no that change that's just your weird personal subjective desire i guess that's what artists do they end up getting a art director named david schneider uh and oh, not dan schneider not dan schneider david schneider ridley meets david schneider for the first time he shakes his hand and everyone's like oh this is david schneider this is the guy you're gonna be working with Ridley goes hmm, too bad for you mate because ridley knows for a fact i'm the top dog i'm the art director this is going to look... I'm the alpha. This is look my community. Look at me, Captain. I'm the Captain now. So uh, Irish sobs. Yeah. He, David Schneider, is quoted as saying, and this is kind of a long quote, but we'd worked like hell for months to get the main street set right. We brought every piece of plastic, steel, and wooden pipe in a 5,000-mile radius. The day came to show Ridley. Larry and I... Larry is his side buddy larry and i stood there shaking when ridley drove up to the back lot the set was already way over budget and cost over one million dollars Ridley got out of his car looked around took the cigar out of his mouth and said this is a great start and then got back in his car and drove off oh, larry and i stood God. there in silence for five minutes and then said what the fuck do we do now that's it sounds it's, like Ridley's not a great director <laughs> because he doesn't give you anything. Yeah. What's it's funny, fine for you to be like, this isn't what I want, but you got to tell him what you want. <laughs> yeah. Man. It's funny that this is like the opposite of what happened in Ghostbusters where the director was like, looks good, guys. Thank you. And then they were like, oh, wait, we weren't we weren't done. Yeah. And this is them being like, look, we're done. And he's like, good start. Yeah. And it's it's weird that he's like a perfectionist, but like, I feel doesn't like tell he, you do, what, yeah. doesn't, doesn't he doesn't just, tell you what to do. I, well, really at least like, Scott, you know, like Kubrick, he's like, I know what I want. And I'm going to tell you what to do. But he's like, all right, you're almost there. 
Yeah. You're getting warmer. He really Scott is like the type of guy who wants to see all his options. So there was a part where they're mm. they're doing the office bit uh, in the very beginning of the movie. And, you know, the set dresser puts out a couple pens and a couple mugs for Ridley to look at. And Ridley's just like not having it. And so David Schneider has to go to the set dresser and he's like, get every fucking mug you can find in a 50 mile radius. Get every mug you can get your goddamn hands on. Ridley doesn't give a shit. He wants to have every possible option for this fucking mug that's going to be on a desk in the background. Huh. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot, man. Yeah. Sounds like he should have been like a painter or something. Yeah. So Ridley just like he he knows what he wants to see. Or but he just he doesn't, doesn't communicate know. it. He knows yeah, he, when he'll see it. This is yeah, he he knows when he's going to see it. Yeah. He does know what he wants as terms of lighting. He uh. spends pretty much most of the time on set redoing lighting. I will say the lighting is very good. Yeah. Yeah, um, it is. And he'll do things that don't have any real purpose or make sense in the shot. Like when they're doing the owl bit, he got a mirror on the ground and filled it with water so that... Is that the... Yeah, the water would reflect onto the wall and right. you would see it on I was I was uh, wondering Rachel. about that, how they did that. And people went up to him and they were like, hey, what's the motivation for the fucking weird water thing? And he's like, <laughs> it looks good. And they were like... All right. All right. Okay. And this guy, British bastard. I think it's a sci-fi work because you're like, I don't know, man. Like it, it's sci-fi. There's lights. I yeah. I think I should note, Ridley is not from America. He is British. 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 This is his first time really working on a fully American set. And so he is very unaccustomed to working with Union. Uh, he is very unaccustomed to pretty much the in- entirety of American structure when it comes to making movies. Okay. So he's not very happy to begin with. What do you uh, mean we got to break? We got to have a break. What do you mean you've got unions? You want food? Is that... Oh, was the tea and, and biscuits not enough food for you? Is that a brand of Java cake? <laughs> We um, love you, British. <laughs> we love British people. If you li- if you happen to be like the one or two British people listening to this, I, we love you. I'm sorry. You guys made. We're just Razin Ridley Sky in particular, yeah. not you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys made the Beatles and other bands, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones, The Clash, The Clash. Fuck. There were people saying that forty percent of those who worked on Blade Runner got separated or divorced during production. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it ruined a lot of relationships. That's oh wild to think God. that the workplace was so unhappy that it ruined their home <laughs> yeah. lives. That's awful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was not great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another thing that did not help set life was Ridley had told an English journalist that he enjoyed working with British crews more than American ones because he just asked for something and the British crew would say, yes, governor, mm-hmm. uh, and he would get it. And uh, Saul Kahan, the unit publicist, had left a copy of that newspaper on Ridley's, in Ridley's trailer and someone had photocopied it, the article, Ooh. and spread it all over set. Mm. Marvin G. Westmore one of the uh, people from the makeup department was quoted as reading as saying, "When I read that yes, governor thing, I knew I had to express to express and opinion. I don't know why he said it like that, but whatever. As to how a lot of the American crew felt, so I designed and paid for sixty sh- t-shirts that said yes, governor, my ass. 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> They've gone full anti-Brit. <laughs> yeah. This is like in Transformers when they threw the fake megaphones yeah. at like, yeah. Michael Bay. I was going to say, they also, there was a guy who like wrote a poem that like went out and got viral or something. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, he, I made 60 of them. Who'd have the balls to wear them? Well, I put one on. Next thing I knew, 60 guys came and picked them up. <laughs> and Ridley did not like this. I, like I can imagine. Uh, he retorted by wearing a shirt that said, Xenophobia sucks. <laughs> Dude. Dude. Is there photos of that? Possibly, yeah. I didn't see any, but I'm sure you could probably find some. That's complicated. Yeah. That's complex. Uh, yeah. There's like this Italian site that... Uh, you can see a photo from set of somebody wearing it, and you can buy one uh, as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm on the exact same site. Look at that. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably use that picture. In, uh... Yeah, so make sure you uh, follow us on social media. We'll be posting some of the behind-the-scenes photos, yeah. and we'll include this in it. Uh, we're going to be on Instagram at the takes it took. So. Yeah, so if you want to see that shirt, actually might. Don't look it up on your own. Yeah, don't look it up on your own. You can't do that. It's illegal. Just go to Instagram and type in the takes it took. Yeah. But all this is done, all the sets and stuff, is done on the Warner Brothers stages and backlots. And Mm -hmm. one thing they were very concerned about is that this is a pre-made set that they have to retrofit to look like Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people could probably just look at it and be like, oh, I know that from this movie and this show and this thing and that thing. Uh, Another big problem is if you've never been to the Warner Brothers backlot, it's... You know, it's in Burbank. We're surrounded by mountains, right? Mm. And that does not fit the look of Blade Runner. So if no. you Even show it is L.A. though, right? Yeah, it's L.A., yeah. but it's supposed to be like this mega structure that yeah. spans. It's supposed to be a mega city that spans pretty much the entire coast of California. Right. No mountains. No. So what the fuck do we do? If we film during the day, you're going to see the mountains. Move the mountains to like Colorado. You pick Shoot. it up and put it over here. Bring them back. Uh, Easy as. Yeah. So, okay, well, we film at night. All right, mm-hmm. well, we're filming at night, but the set, the set still has kind of the rough outline of things that look like other things. All right, we'll put some smoke and rain in. And so rain, smoke, and nighttime became the fucking tools of the trade in yeah. this movie. Yeah, I can tell. It's just it's raining at night. Yeah. And cars spew smoke all the time. Yeah, so they used these three things to basically make sure that you wouldn't be able to tell what was That's going. how I like to play cards, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rain, smoke, and nighttime. Yeah. Sean Young asked Ridley Scott at one point, hey, is your house filled with smoke? And Ridley Scott said, no, but it would look cool. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I still want to do like a... Was, that was like her challenging the production yeah. design? She was yeah. like, dude, everything is filled with smoke. The fucking buildings are filled with smoke. Why is okay. there so much fucking okay. smoke? And he's like, oh, it looks good. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, mate. It looks good. Looks good. Looks fucking good. good. Oh, I like it. I'm glad he was able to take that joke. Yeah. Very big tools of the trade there. Problem is, it is day three of the first week uh and they are we're only three days in yep they are over budget and behind schedule classic they had 21 million dollars folks and they are over budget (laughs) which began making things very uncomfortable for their relationship with their financial partners at tandem productions 
Tandem had entered into an arrangement uh, with them that placed them in a position of completion bond guarantor, which, if you didn't know, is basically it guarantees that if production goes wildly out of control and over budget, Tandem would be able to step in and take over production and basically kick Ridley out mm. um, okay. and basically be like, hey, fuck you, we're taking over. Yeah, And so they kind of had that looming over their heads the entire time. And so they are not doing great, right? Uh, the art department is trying to pump shit out as fast as humanly possible. But Ridley Scott is coming to them every goddamn day, breathing over their shoulders, grabbing them by the shoulders just a little too tight yeah. and going, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> what are you doing? We need more PVC pipes painted gray. <laughs> I need more weird... I need more smoke machines. I need more smoke machines. Give me I more, need rain machines. Give me more flying cars. You got any snakes? Give him. Give them to me. I want them. Boo Womp. Uh-oh. If you know anything about film history in this era, you might know that there is an actor strike that happens. Uh-oh. I've never so, heard of one of those. those damn union boys the that union. Ridley Scott is not... The Americans and their unions. <laughs> that Ridley Scott is not used to working with have gone on strike and filming has stopped and the art department is like fuck yes fuck yeah fuck yeah this is awesome hell yeah we can finally work <laughs> and so the entire time that the <laughs> actors union is on strike the art department is going ham finishing up designs and uh they are very pleased with this Another person who deserves a absolute righteous shout out. Righteous. 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 You think surfing made it uh, to the Blade Runner world? I don't think so. There's uh, not much water. No. A lot of rain. A lot of rain. A lot of rain. It's like That's true. They would have. Surfer? Yeah. Silver surfer. <laughs> Jordan Cronenweth is the DP, right? He's yeah. the director of photography. Amazing. Cronin with. Absolutely brilliant cinematography he's doing mm. a wonderful job yes he is not only dealing with ridley breathing down his neck but he's dealing with at the time an unknown illness that oh. he would later find out is parkinson's disease oh. oh so throughout the entire movie he's getting worse and worse Mm. And it wasn't until after the movie. They didn't even find out by a doctor. They found out they were at a Christmas party. And someone had gone up to Jordan's wife and was like, oh, how long have has he had Parkinson's? <laughs> and they're like, uh. what the fuck are you talking about? And the other person was like, oh, yeah, he has Parkinson's. Because they, they had someone in their life that had Parkinson's. So they, they knew what it looked like. Damn. By the by the end of filming, by the last couple of weeks of, of filming, Jordan was bound to a wheelchair Ooh. and was still pumping out some amazing yeah. cinematography. Holy yeah. cow. So the man was devoted. His son went on to saying like it was in, it was inspiring yeah. to see my dad like just working alongside all these people in a fucking wheelchair. Yeah, that's like that's some FDR shit right there. Yeah. It was really fucking good. I'm gonna be honest, I I was like, are you, are you thinking what I'm thinking? It might change my rating. Yeah, I was a like, that, that changed. That's I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. what my rating is right now because of that. <laughs> I'm like, mm. it's pretty incredible. Yeah. 
it's it's pretty neat, ain't it? Along with so another place they had filmed was the Yukon Hotel. The exterior of the Bradbury building was also filmed. And this is kind of like a pretty popular place in downtown Los Angeles. I've heard of it. And so a lot of people were like, a lot of people were like, really, Scott, you fucking madman. Everybody knows about this building. Everyone's filmed there. Like, everyone's going to know that it's the Bradbury building. This motherfucker replies with, not the way I'm going to film it. I kind (laughs) of like the confidence. Yeah. I guess. And they're like, what are you going to do? And he's going to, I'm going to fill it with smoke. I'm going to make it rainy. I'm going to fill it with smoke. And it's going to be nighttime. <laughs> A classic combo. Yeah. So they are getting pretty dang close to the end of filming. And Rutger knew this. Rutger knew that they were getting pretty fucking close. A lot of the time, you know, they're filming at night. The sun would start coming up and they'd be like, well, I guess this is going to be the shot now because mm. we're running out of time. Right. And so Rutger is getting ready to do the bit on the roof where he, yeah, he dies with Deckard. Yeah. And he goes up and he goes, hey, I wrote this little bit uh, while I was on lunch. Um, I'm going to do it. And they're like, what? Yeah, he just so he wrote the uh, speech. I've seen things people wouldn't believe. Yeah. Wow. Wow. The tears and rain. That is wow. That's iconic. he, He made little bits with it. And so they're like, no, no, we don't have time. We don't have time to do that. Well, he fucking does it anyway. Wow. And the Long John's in this man. Ridley Scott is quoted say, as saying, huh? The long- and, uh, I forgot he's wearing tidy whiteies. Yeah, he is wearing tidy whiteies. Yeah. Tight little whiteies. Mm. Oh, they're black. Tight but- little butt. So was he just supposed to have like a different line and then he was yeah, like. Yeah, it was supposed to be like a way shorter speech. F that. And then he, he just, just. They were before, rolling. And he was when like, they were rolling, he just. Yeah. That's nice. wild. So a lot of the like poetry that. Yeah. Roy yeah. Batty does is just Rutger fucking tossing it. Oh. Can I just say, like, as a director, that, that'd be, like, an insane gift. That's yeah. crazy cool. Well, yeah. So after that little, his little tears and rain bit, <laughs> really Scott is quoted as saying, and then he looked at me sheepishly as if to say, I've been a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a naughty. <laughs> I've been a naughty little boy. Naughty lad. Oh, isn't my, my little bit about tears in the rain naughty? Uh, and so that's that's it. Uh, he His big fucking speech, a uh, portion of it, he just fucking won. He had written it that day. So is that just like the only take? Is that just like the one take and they just used it? I don't know if it's the only take. They basically, that was the first take that he added it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, write it in. And so they fucking added it. Nice. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, another thing that I forgot to mention is this set, because it was so wet, was not very safe. Mm, I didn't think about that, yeah. The, they had the little caution wet when, or slippery when wet yeah. signs everywhere. The shot where Pris runs into the car when she first uh, Her first scene. To, yeah. Well, that window wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah, uh, that was I've, real I've glass. Heard about this, mm-hmm. she shattered like eight parts in her elbow. Yeah, oof. is is that the take in the movie? Yes, and she just kept going because I knew. No, about- yeah, yeah, yeah. She kept going after. Yeah, but. Yeah, she shattered that, and they were like, "Oh fuck, okay, well, I guess we'll just use that because we're we're not gonna make you do that again." Huh. It's always interesting to me when movies are like, "Yeah, we'll put the one in that like this person got hurt." Yeah, and yeah. on one hand you're like, "Yeah," and then on the other hand you're like, "I don't, I don't know." Yeah, she fucked her arm up really bad, mm. and then she had to go on and do all the like acrobatic stuff. The spiders. Yeah, that's Daryl Hannah, by the way. Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah. Shout out to Daryl Hannah. Mm-hmm. Daryl Hannah. Um, another thing is they were using so much 
fucking smoke that it was cited as looking like a coal mine. Everyone's getting black lung and trench foot. Yeah, so pretty much the entire cast was wearing like masks the entire time. Yeah. yeah. The the scene in the the freezer was done in an actual freezer, like a meat locker, where they couldn't affect the temperature. Mm. So they would film mm. for five minutes, and then they'd have to pull everything out, or else the oils in the camera would freeze up. Yes. And then they would come back in. They would record a little bit. The smoke and stuff they were using at that temperature was sucking up all the oxygen in the room. Mm. And so people were like getting lightheaded and nauseous, and they were like, oh, fuck, there's no oxygen in here. Oof. <laughs> So they would have to stop for that. To make sure people could breathe, I yeah. guess. Ugh. American crews needing <laughs> air. Unions. I've got an air union. <laughs> you put in your union document that you need air. <laughs> Porsche Americans. Over in London, we don't even need the sun. <laughs> yeah, they don't. That, oh, that's what he's done. Ridley Scott has made <laughs> Oh, shit, he, he made London. He made London. No sun, Wet, rainy, rainy, dark. dark. <laughs> He just wanted to be back home. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott, if by some chance you hear this, please, please don't blacklist us. Yeah. Or talk to us. I'm sure we didn't get the full story. Well, shit is getting close to wrapping, but Ridley Scott is not letting up. Things are taking just as long. Things are just as expensive. And so Tenum goes, hey, fuck you. We're pulling the plug. You're fired. And you, Dealey, the producer, you're also fired. Both of you, fuck off. We're taking control. Oh, that didn't last long because Ridley Scott refused to leave. And so huh. they kind of just continued doing their thing. Galaxy brain. <laughs> just don't leave. Just... I'll hear what you're saying, but how about no? How about, how no. about fuck you? How about no, bruv? Uh, so yeah, they just didn't fucking leave. Go get um, yourself a burger. <laughs> at McDonald's. And Crumpet. I'll have my tea time. And so they they are now doing... We're test this screening. Man too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing test screenings and things aren't going very well. The audience is not really enjoying it as much as the They like me for real for real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mariah. <laughs> they aren't having a good time. And so the producers, people with the cash are like, "Hey, hey, make it more noir. Add voiceover. Add uh, a happy ending." Add this, add that. Yeah. And really, Scott is like, no, fuck you. And that's when they go, okay, fired, bitch. Part two. <laughs> yeah. And so they start doing voiceovers for Deckard's character. Right. And Harrison Ford does a shit-ass piss-poopy job. I was going to remember it because the first time I watched this movie, I think, was that version. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, these narrations suck. Yeah. It's like he's like, someone just woke him up like, in his <laughs> yeah. bed. And they're like, all right, go. And he's like, uh, it's the year 2020. And I was like, oh. Everyone says that Harrison Ford purposely botched it so they wouldn't be able to add the voiceover. Mm. He says that he did not purposely do it because why would he purposely be bad for his job? He did say that he thought it was so fucking bad that they weren't going to add it. Hmm did in fact add it, and they did in fact have Harrison Ford say the N-word. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct response. <laughs> huh. It's the it's a part where he's talking about how the like police chief is like, oh, he calls them skin jobs. And yeah. earlier, you know, if he was a police chief earlier in American yeah. history, he's the type of guy who would call the black man a and then a pal. Yeah. Whew. Wow. But you know, that happened. And so huh. that is the theatrical release of Blade Runner. It's got voiceover, 
There's no unicorn bit. Which, just to clarify, we all watched the final cut. We all watched the final cut, yes. yes. Final cut. So, it's been so long since I've seen it that, like, I don't remember anything about the voiceovers, and it's not in the yeah. final cut, so. Yeah. Mm. This um, is new to me. Yeah. So, uh, theatrical release doesn't go very well. Oh, I take it back. Whoopsies, we forgot to talk about visual effects. Yeah, we did. You're all fools. Trick me. So the first thing I want to say, shout out to Matthew Urikich, who did all the matte paintings for this movie. Okay. We uh, love Matt. Shout out to Matthew Urikich. Urikich. Uh, shout out to you. You did an amazing job. You did great. Shout out to the fire uh, that looms from the buildings in the very beginning of the movie. Good job, fire. Those were grabbed from a, a different movie called Antonioni's Zabriskie Point. Huh. Antonio. Really? Antonio. Antonio. So, yeah, those are just yelling from a different thing. Interesting. You know, a lot of the visual effects, they're either, they're, well, they're all practical, whether that be scale models, whether that be just full size cars that they have on cranes that they're just like yeah. lifting into the air and shooting yeah. smoke out of. The main thing I want to talk about is the Hades landscape, which is the shot of the, the big is that the opening? establishing opening shot. Yeah. Um, so, that was created on a uh, table 15 by 8 feet, all models acid etched into brass bigger models were placed at the front and smaller ones in the back obviously to create uh, an illusion of depth and they filled the room with smoke and they had thousands of fiber optic cables to make the city feel alive with all the lights Mm -hmm. and the all the erupting flames were superimposed on top so they would take white cards and they would project just the the explosion or the burst of fire and then they would do because they did this in like 16 or 20 passes Right. right, all in the same film. So they would, they had this big model. They would expose for city lights. All right, reel the film back, pull the motion operated camera. Hmm. Now expose for the fire. All right, pull it back, expose for shadows. All right, pull it back, expose for the highlights. Hmm. Pull the film back, reel it so that it's all exposed on one piece of film. Yeah. And so instead of, because a lot of movies will record each thing separately and then impose each one on top. Yeah. You get a lot of film degradation when you do that, though. Yeah. So with this, everything kept its really high fidelity while all being on the same piece of film. But it took really long. It was like 30 minutes for each pass and with like 20 passes yeah you know it took like a day's work just to get this like intro shot mm-hmm. but they did a very good That's job a good one so i mean this era of visual effects is probably my favorite era because everything has to be done by hand there's a lot more creativity in it yeah. in my opinion but a lot of you know matte painting and and it was more magical yeah, it was more magical. Just, uh, I know it's not as practical, not as cost effective, but it was just more magical. Yeah. The artistry of it, you know. But uh, this is where we're going to go back and talk to Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick has not been a fan of this movie for a long time. Okay. With the first cut, he absolutely where's, fucking hated it. Where's the dick meter at now? Dick meter is pretty high. It's erect. <laughs> I didn't think you just... Do the direct. I thought <laughs> I thought we'd be able to keep it. You thought we'd be del- dancing around it? Nope. Yeah. Okay. He did not like the fancier version of the script, but inevitably gave it a pass. He ended up saying that he kind of regretted giving it the pass. How much uh, control or input did he Damn have? Damn near it? zero. I was going to say. Zero. Typically, mm. when you yeah. sign over yeah. the rights, you just um, get to watch your work. Yeah. Watch it. The, the like David destroyed. Peoples cut, he was a bigger fan of. He wasn't told about this version of the cut, though. So he wasn't told about that script and it's this version that he really likes so this version of the movie this is the test screening version before Mm. they've 
added the the narrations and all of this. This is the version that he sees, and he says, I saw a segment of Douglas Trumbull's special effects of Blade Runner on the KNBC News. He wasn't even shown the fucking full thing. Huh. They, basically, like, they kicked him out. He Again, he did not trust Hollywood. Right. And he says, I recognized it immediately. It was my own interior world. They caught it perfectly. Huh. Good. So nice. He was like... This is what I saw when I was writing the book. Um, okay. This is the world that I envisioned. He also approved the film script when, because he inevitably went to them and was like, hey, I want to fucking see it. After I finished reading the screenplay, I got the novel out and looked through it. The two reinforced each other so that someone who started the novel would enjoy the movie and someone who started the movie would enjoy the novel. The motion picture was then dedicated to Dick because he would die oh. two weeks before the movie released. Oh. oh. So hmm. Phil K. Dick never got to see any true version of the movie. Wow. Wow. Which hmm. I, really sucks. I think he would have really liked it because, again, he saw the 20 minutes at like on the news and okay. fucking loved it. But the, the theatrical release with the narration, with all that, comes out and it is a crap show. No one really likes it. It just, it kind of just comes out. It gets, me- it happens. It happened. Yeah. Um, no one really cares about it. 10 years. Li- so it, Blade Runner came out in 1982. Mm-hmm. is when it was released. So it just, it didn't really make any big waves at the box office. It just kind of came out, did, eh, and then just like faded away, basically? Faded away, yeah. Okay. Hmm. One day in 1989, uh, this is... Seven years later. Seven years later. I, I don't know who this... Oh, William Kolb. So William Kolb was walking up and down the aisles at Tadeo Vault in Hollywood when he found these Goldbergs, which were the, the metal cases that they would put film reels in. And he saw one that said, Technicolor, London, Blade Runner, 70 millimeter print. Ooh. And what he had realized was he found the original test screenings of the movie, um, the, the version that... Ridley Scott had made before the studios came in and and changed everything. Hmm. And so he takes that print and he plays it at the Denver and Dallas sneak previews. uh, That was played. I'm sorry. The version of that was played at the Denver and Dallas sneak previews back in 1982. Okay. And so he takes this 70 millimeter print and shows it to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers is like, all right, let's take this and release it. And so they change it they they reduce it back down to a 35 millimeter version and released it at the new art theater in los angeles on september 1991 or in september 1991 and it's almost 10 years later yeah it immediately broke all house records and stayed there for three weeks wow everyone fucking loved it and this is the initial version that people didn't like prodigal Uh, son returns yeah so ridley was not a fan of this because no one had told him that this happened (laughs) I was about to ask. It's uh, like my mom found my drawing from kindergarten in her closet and uh, put it in an art gallery. That sucked. Cut yeah. that out. Warner Brothers had basically packaged this up and called it the director's cut, uh, which effectively it was. It was the version before you know all the studios the studio came in. Got but uh, Ridley was like, no, fuck you. That was still the fucking studio pr- cut. Studio cut. That's not the version I would have made. And so 25 plus years later from the original release of Blade Runner, Ridley Scott comes out with the final cut. Final. This is the one with the actual eyes being gouged in. Yeah. This is the one with the unicorn. This is the one that we watched. This is the one we watched. And that was the one that everyone fucking loves to this day. This is the one that pretty much everyone sees now. And that is nice. kind of it. Movie comes out. 
And it's the final cut. Everyone likes it. Cool. Discuss. Do we want to discuss? Do we want to break or do we want to get into it? Who's starting? I'll start because I like the movie probably the most and I've read the book. I'll go. That being said. Should we do an order? Uh, No. Never mind. Just go ahead. So I love the visual effects. I love how it looks. I love a lot of this movie. Mm -hmm. I do think it's kind of boring in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think the book is just. It's just better. It, I love how much the book goes into what it means to be human, to have empathy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is the distinction between these androids and humans? It, it appears to just be how empathetic they are, but there are people who aren't empathetic. So do they deserve to just be killed? The book is really good. I like all that it adds to the, to the world. And, you know, as far as the movie goes, I love that they, the art director was quoted as saying, I wanted to make something that was futuristic but old. Mm. And so it was it was very futuristic to us but into the in to the people in the world. Yeah. It was old junk. Right. Um right. that's the vibe they were going okay. with. And and as far as that goes, you know, I love all like bl- uh, not Blade Runner but um I like Blade Runner. Uh cyberpunk, cyberpunk stuff. Cyberpunk, yeah. Where like, you know, the fucking proletariat is and- and this crushed is, in and corporates are taking over and everything's hell for the common man. And this is like a huge, you know, keystone in cyberpunk. Oh, like. Yeah, this inspires so yeah. much stuff. Yeah. So I think this movie is also just insanely important when it comes to the history of cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it basically defines the genre. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, I, I think the book's a little bit better. And I think if I was going to have someone either intake do Android Dream of Electric Sheep or Blade Runner, I would have them intake. And do Android Jim of Electric Sheep. Okay. All uh, right. Um, I'll go. I think this movie, the aesthetic and the effects and the visuals are one of the strongest things it's got going for it. I mean, again, like we said with Cyberpunk, sort of defining that that look and that aesthetic. That being said, it does really lean into those and it sacrifices plot and emotional depth or tone and aesthetic. Yeah, and I agree. So, like I said before, I think it's very just emotionally distant. Deckard is just lame. Yeah. He's just a guy that, you know, like we don't really know much about him. Like he's just kind of, I don't know, not thrilled, but no one else in the movie's thrilled about life. So yeah. he's just kind of doing what he's told and that's it. Yeah. He has way more depth in the book and he's a fucking killer in the book. In this, and in this movie, he's pathetic. He's yeah. so, he's lame. He gets like choked with his tie and he's flailing around. And he's doing I know. It's giving me Indiana Jones yeah. vibes. Yeah. Doing, no, in, he's like, in the book, he pretty much never loses. He just oh. like. See, he gets beat he, up in this one he gets to roid batty kills him he just literally in the book it's like two lines of him looking at roid batty and putting a bullet in his skull yeah and that that too okay i like the kooky ending i mm-hmm. like kooky stuff i like when things just derail and go kooky i think some of the religious imagery is a bit heavy-handed yeah um a little too on the nose and they and- they cut religious imagery from from the uh oh, end of the book because there's a part where roy batty's in an elevator and he's Basically doing the fucking oh, on the cross oh, pose. On the cross, yeah. I mean, he does stab a nail. Uh, literally a nail but through the his whole hand. Th- but the thing for me is it doesn't work because he's not. It's weird because. Like a sacrifice. He's not like Jesus in any way, shape, or no. form. It Like it's simply there because it's imagery, not because he's... it has a purpose in my opinion. Yeah, I, I really don't consider him a, a. I mean, other than the fact that he spares Deckard at the very end. Yeah. Because he's just like given up. He can't the... find the life that he wants so he's like what's the point in fighting this fucking guy if i'm gonna die soon anyway 
the interpretation that I like the most that I think works best with like the Jesus stuff is if we accept the ending hypothesis that Deckard is a replicant, I like to imagine that like during that end chase scene, Roy realizes he's a replicant and he's like, oh, I need to die so he can go away and live the life that I want. This mm. is like my best interpretation. Okay. Yeah. But that's if you accept that ending of the movie yeah and i like i think that's the most interesting version of this movie that would be that okay so i have on here under rap uh <laughs> is <laughs> very good thanks is deckard a replicant no you say no i say no definitely you say i don't think there's enough to support it yeah there's just he had a dream in the but like yeah, he has a dream of a unicorn that is a creature that is not real the other cop guy gives Holds. him a unicorn yeah. to suggest that he's like, one, I know that your dream is an implant. Right. And that, you know, you are this fictional thing that is not real. There's a couple shots where he has like the eye. He doesn't have like the, the shine that human eyes do in the movie. Hmm. Probably just say that he doesn't have the reflection in his eyes because it's dark. Yeah. That was rainy. the that was the view <laughs> of a lot of people on set is they're like, it just it's just what happened on set, man. Yeah. But um, yeah, like Harrison Ford, the writers, the DP, a lot of people are like, no, he is not a replicant. He's a man struggling with the ethics of killing replicants and finding his morality again. But I didn't even really see a struggle with him killing replicants, you know? He is a replicant. So what? Like we've been given so little like inform like emotional information about the man. And mm-hmm. even then, like if him picking up the origami is supposed to be him like realizing he's a replicant, he takes it like a champ. Yeah. Like uh, there's no recognition. There's nothing else in the story that would support that being like a super yeah. significant thing. And so they just move on. So like it doesn't matter. So I don't know. I think if they supported that and had different things in the story that mm-hmm. kind of be like, oh, right. You know, yeah. But, Ridley Scott isn't going to say whether or not he's a replicant, but in the book, he's not a replicant. So in my eyes, he's not a fucking replicant. As as good as it would be if Roy Batty sees that he's a replicant and spares his life to give him the life that he couldn't have, he's just not a replicant. Well, also, this is like, it's cheating, but he makes it to 2049 for the sequel. So if replicants only have a four-year lifespan, then he's probably not a replicant. Also, if he's hunting replicants and he knows what the implants are, and he's the same case as Rachel where she didn't know she was a replicant and then she finds out, I believe that he would be able to tell that he was a replicant. Yeah. A little piece it together. Which, now that you bring up the second movie, I want to say, just kind of comparing them, I... I think the second movie is better, mainly because yeah. it just it explores the emotional yeah. humanity of it. You have you have a replicant dealing with you know the the humanity of these emotions and doing things for the greater good and all that, which you don't get in this one. And I know it's like, oh, it's his struggle to find his morality of killing his. I don't we see, hardly that. see that. I see. We hardly see. He yeah. does it. He kills him. He doesn't really seem remorseful. They play cards and then uh, they run away together at the end. Yeah. In the book, Pris is the exact same model as Rachel. And oh, so okay. it's a huge thing for Deckard in the book. He's like, I yeah. have feelings for Rachel. Am I even going to be able to kill this girl when the time comes? Because she looks like, she looks like the girl that I like. That, that, that's what I think the biggest misstep with this movie is just it doesn't touch on any of these emotional dilemmas. Yeah. And I feel like the strongest emotional moment we get is at the very end, which again... I think you could argue it'd be like, oh, that's the point, you know, that it's devoid of emotion because like replicants are devoid of emotion, blah, blah, blah. But you get it at the end is the strong because, you know, there's that bit with Harrison Ford just kind of watching him after he's died. And like there's emotion there. You see something there. But it comes not only does it like come too late, 
but also I still have a hard time empathizing with the the replicants in this movie because they're just cracked out weirdos <laughs> yeah. and like kill people and torture people and gouge out eyes. I'm like, I, you got to make them a little more That's sympathetic. Why, so Philip K. Deck always said, you know, because they're fucking based off Nazis. Mm-hmm. Like to Philip K. Dick, the replicants were always these monsters. They were yeah. insanely strong, insanely smart, but they did not care. They would sell each other out. They would kill and do whatever it fucking took to further their own gains. But when Ridley Scott made it, he's like, no, I want them to be like Superman, but without the ability to fly. They're they're better than us in almost every way. And, and Philip K. Dick was always like, fuck you, you bitch. It looks good, <laughs> but... Like this, on this point, I will not concede. What? One last thing, and then we'll let Mariah speak for once. I just want to say Thank you. what I thought was interesting about you talking about the, the Nazi thing is I thought you were going to go a different direction. And so he was inspired because of like Nazi officers tracking down like Jewish people. Oh, yeah. Because no. that, that's also like related to the plot yeah. of them like hunting replicants. So that's where I thought you were going with it. But then you were like, no, they're the Nazis. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's it. Mariah, Mariah we've right. been waiting. Mariah, tell us. Everything you think about this movie. Okay. We saved the best for last. That's gonna, why we haven't you, let you talk. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna talk about and actually, you know what? A further point. Oh, yeah. Do you want to see my toes? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Let me touch on what I like first. Yes. The cinematography in the miniatures. Okay. Mm. Now, what I have a problem with, it's so slow. <laughs> that was a good <laughs> She bit. got the notes. That was a funny bit. Thank you. I like it. It's so slow. If It is. If the they pacing. cut the establishing shots by half, you'd save 20 minutes of this fucking movie. Yeah. Jesus H. Christ. Next. I don't have any connection or care about any of the characters, really. Also understandable. Deckard has no backstory. Yes, I do no. not have a motivation for him. He's got he a just, wife in the book. He's just doing it. And uh, I don't see a struggle for him. He does a tiny bit of investigating. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then he runs around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could get into this more than the first time I watched it, which, again, as I mentioned, it took me a week to watch this the first yeah. time I watched it. I, I managed to watch it in one sitting with mayhaps a drink and a little walk around the couch mm-hmm. when I got a little bored. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> but the ending is so disconnected from what the rest of the movie is. Okay. Um, the biblical Im- imagery could have been more powerful because if it is about God or like the Tyrell Corporation making man in his image, cool, but like Roy isn't Jesus, so that doesn't work. And they use the term prodigal son. They don't really use it correctly. So like, what the heck? And then, um, yeah, we've already talked about like Deckard. I think it would be more interesting if they really played into the fact that he was a replicant, but they don't. So like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't. Biggest... I don't vibe with it. I can't connect with it in any way, shape, or form. No, and yeah, it doesn't. I... It doesn't keep me interested because just a man doing his job be- because it's his job, I guess. And that's not enough for me. And I don't see enough of like a struggle. I don't see enough of character development. I don't see any development really. Yeah. Besides, people die. Yeah, in the book, and he and he falls in love, and that's it. In the book, we see more of his backstory. We get more of his character development. We know why he's doing this. We and see that's what I'm missing. Way that's, more struggle yeah. from him. There's there's not enough depth in dilemma. Yeah. We need those Ds. Yeah, I completely agree. I think visually it looks amazing. I, the, I would say this movie is 80% vibes. And if you do 100%. not match the vibes, you're not going to like it. Yeah, and it's just like the script was not there. Yeah. I completely agree with you, Mariah. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's funny. Watching this movie again, I, I'm actually less into it than I was the first time I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Not um, by a lot. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it was an awful movie. I'm just like, I, especially no, having seen the second one, I'm like, I just I think the second one is just much better. I yeah. think it, it gets deeper, has more to say. 
This just ain't for me. I, I can understand that. But we didn't even, the score, synths, good production style. Yeah, we didn't even really get into the music. The music no, is that's pretty good. Pretty good. Bangers. Bangers. Should, All we, right. should uh, we go ahead and... Let's, let's rate it. Cool. Miles, what about you? Miles, I'll start. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the plot's not very good. But did this movie revolutionize the genre of cyberpunk? Yes. Does it look incredible? Yes. Is it based off of one of my favorite books? Also, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I agree with you, Stefan. It's 80% vibes. I fuck with the 80% of vibes. 80%, 8 out of 10. All right. Oh, uh, eight, eight short men with long noses. I wasn't even thinking. Okay, now I got it. Is it my I, turn? Yep. Little, right. little clown guys who look really scared when Pris walks up on Sebastian. All right, yeah, I, I remember that shot. He's like, and he's like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, so a lot of what Miles said, yeah, it's vibes. Cinematography is great. Also, knowing the cinematographer's battle like does affect yeah. my thoughts a little bit. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, I think the pacing's bad. I think the plot's not that great. The emotional depth is lacking. I prefer the second one. I do think it's a good movie. I don't want, you know, if we got any of our new audience members are like, what the heck? You don't like buttons. I don't like it. But I'm going to give it 7.6. All right. Thigh squeezes. Mm. God, I wish that was me. He not like me for real, for real. <laughs> not like me at all. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't need to see this movie again anytime soon. <laughs> Damn. Um, I, again, I could get more into it once I was kind of like, all right, it's noir. Got it. All right. Um, but then the investigation of, you know, noir wasn't really there yeah. <laughs> for yeah. this. I will say if I had rated it the first time I watched it, three easily. Damn. I'm going to up it to a 5.7. All right. 5.7. But uh, 5.7 is like a mid-tier movie. Yeah. I Would you consider this a mid-tier movie? Objectively, no. For me, absolutely. Yeah, this though. is a subjective rating. Yeah. If I'm doing objective rating, I'd probably give it a 7. But subjective, just for me, 5.7. Because yeah. like, I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't care about it. Wait, when I say do you think it's a mid-tier movie, I mean like for to me, you. Yeah. Yeah. I... I watched this like five years ago. I can easily easily go another five, ten years without seeing this again. All right. it's, it's, I'm more interested in the book. It sound that sounds more yeah, up my alley. Good. Good. But like, I just I don't care about it's it. It's the vibes, man. I'm telling so, you, it's the vibes. If you don't got the vibes, you gonna have a bad time. So, but that's that's for anything though. Five point five point seven nose grabs with two fingers, just really yeah. sticking yeah. up each nostril oh, yeah. out of ten. Good. Yeah. Oh, can I change mine? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna change mine to eight tears in the rain. Mm. out of magical and beautiful nice. all right well, well if you guys have stuck around this long thanks uh yeah. it's hot as fuck so get us out of here Stefan. what's next what's next boy oh boy can i tell you i had no clue when i woke up this morning and we're gonna be doing that one when we're moving guys life update we're moving oh my god well and, they're moving yeah. i'm not yeah Meanwhile. not out of the city just no to a no part. we're moving so whatever we're, that's business stuff you don't you, you don't got any little baby go play in your playroom we eat the adult stock. Taxes. <laughs> I don't like that bit. Uh, okay. <clears throat> the next movie that we'll be doing is <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Yo! Right. The yeah. first one? Yeah. First one. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've yeah. seen it. Why not? Damn. Shout out my boy Johnny Depp mm. and Kira Knightley. Well, who's Orlando, Orlando Bloom? Bloom? Orlando Bloom. That's what I was thinking about. And that one Jeffrey guy Rush. I always forget. Jeffrey Rush. And my homie, Jeffrey Rush. A monkey? Mackenzie Crook? Yeah. There you go. We're big fans of the show Detectorists. If ah. anybody has seen it, and Mackenzie Crook um, wrote, directed, and stars in that. We, we like the Brits. All right. Yeah. 
All right. I look forward to it. All right. All right. Uh, but until the next episode where we cover parts of the Caribbean, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at The Takes It Took. And if you want to send us an email with any corrections, comments relating to today's episode or past episodes or any ideas of episodes you'd like to see in the future, you can uh, give us a little email at thetakesittook at gmail.com. But until then, stay safe, have fun, watch movies, and we will uh, see you next time. And um, don't retire anybody, please. Please don't. Please yes. don't. Yeah. Uh, it's not. You're... Don't. Don't. Over the no, age of but, 65, no. you've Bye. got a 401k. Bye. And you've really thought about buying. Social security number given to us. Give us your social security number. <laughs> yeah.